You're listening to the Business with Purpose podcast with your host, Molly Stillman of stillbeingmolly.com. This podcast takes you behind the scenes with some of the world's most generous entrepreneurs, from the CEOs of mission-driven brands to directors of small community nonprofits and everything in between. Molly is sitting down with men and women who believe in changing the world not only through their personal lives, but also their professional careers. And now, here's Molly. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Business with Purpose podcast. My guest this week is Adam Muncy, who is the founder of The Hounds Limited. Now ladies, listen up. This episode you're going to love, but men, this episode is really going to be for you. The Hounds is actually a ethical menswear line that is manufactured in an ethical factory in Honduras. But what they are doing is they are empowering education of kids in inner city Chicago. Adam is such an awesome guy. Seriously, this guy is so cool. I could hang out with him all the live long day, as they say, but really, He is really, really awesome. They work with an organization called Inner City Impact, and they are helping to distribute uniforms to local nonprofits who are working in communities all across the country, but especially within Inner City Chicago. Adam's story is so awesome. He has a background of working with Inner City Youth, and he's just, he's got this fire within him to help those in need. You are going to love my conversation with Adam, so I hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, Adam. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Very excited to be here. Yes, I'm so excited. You and I were talking before we got rec- before we started recording. You and I got connected with... This actually seems to be a, a theme on the show. This has happened a lot recently, which uh, you and I got connected through our mutual friend, Bethany Tran, who owns the Root Collective. And yes, ma'am. She is just... She's the best. And so I always like to say, like, people that, that Bethany vouches for or, like, people that Bethany introduces me to instantly have like this extra cool factor to them. (laughs) Oh, for sure. So it makes you just like a little bit more legit than normal. (laughs) I'll take all the help I can get. I love it. Well, Adam, before we get get started into um, everything that you are doing with the hounds, I would love if you would do what all of our guests do, and that's give us the Adam 101. So tell us your life story. Tell us, uh, you know, just all the things that you've done in life that have led you to where you are today. Um, I'm pretty, I'm not that exciting, honestly. I, uh, I grew up in a town called Cedarville, Ohio. There's a tiny university there, a small liberal arts school. What's it called? Um, it's called Cedarville University. Oh, okay. Because I, I have family, for, like my dad was born and raised in Cleveland. And my oh, okay. dad went to Bowling Green. And then my brother-in-law's from Defiance, which is also... Like a Northern very, Ohio. yeah, like small part of Ohio. And then he went to a small school in Ohio, but I can't remember what, what, or, um, what it was called. But yeah, so I have lots of family from Ohio. That's awesome. Ohio is the heart of it all. There's <laughs> like so much connection to Ohio, but it's kind of a, a forgotten about state. It is. It is. I mean, and I'm, I was born and raised a Cleveland fan. So like I'm a Browns fan. I know. I know. <laughs> Every time somebody finds that out about me, they're like, Oh, I'm I'm sorry. I'm like, yeah, you know, I just I learned what true hardship looks like. <laughs> I'm mm-hmm, just kidding. Mm-hmm. I'm just kidding. It's a struggle. It is. It is. All right. Sorry. So you're from Ohio. <laughs> I am from Ohio. Uh, I went to school. I studied uh, global economics and international business. Um, then from there, I started working in banking. I uh, fell in love with a girl from Michigan, so I decided to pursue my master's at uh, Western Michigan University. Um, that's when I got up there, I got about a semester in and realized 
how not interested in uh, quantitative economics, econometrics that I was. <laughs> and I dropped out and decided to start uh, an ethical menswear line. So that's where I am now, running the hounds. <laughs> I love it. And that seems like a natural progression from living in Ohio, studying banking and global economics to starting a men's fashion brand. Oh, for sure. It's the one that every single but every person follows that natural path yeah. to get into fashion. I know. So let's let's back up a little bit. Um you know, before we get into what the hounds does, have you you know, while you were in banking or studying banking and while you were studying global economics and even, you know, before that and you know, growing up and in high school, did you always have you know, a passion for, um, you know, service or giving back? Like, where did that sort of that drive to help others come from? Obviously, number one is my faith, as it's going to be yeah. a huge influencer in it, um, just for everything as far as, uh, I'm evangelical, but I do, I do still believe in a, like a restoration of Shalom as like the whole earth being redeemed. Mm -hmm. And I think we got to get our hands dirty to do that. So that's, the biggest influencer of it, as mm -hmm. far as when it, I realized it was something I wanted to do vocationally yeah. and do all the time, I interned with an organization called Inner City Impact, which yeah. is actually our partner nonprofit in Chicago, Illinois. Oh, and wow. basically, my whole job there was uh, just to hang out with the kids from the neighborhood. I was in Logan Square, and then I also worked a lot in Humboldt Park in Chicago, which, if you're not familiar with those city with those neighborhoods. Um, I want to say the Latin Kings was founded in Humboldt Park. Yeah. And uh, there's a intersection there that um, about 20 years ago was the uh, deadliest intersection in the country, I think. So it was wow. a place that needed a lot of work. Yeah. And my job was basically just to go hang out with the kids, show them a different perspective and uh, just kind of invest in the community. Yeah. So that's where my heart for service came from. When were you in Chicago at one point? You know, I know you were in Ohio and then you were in Michigan. At what point did you go to Chicago? I was in Chicago just for the summer of 2012 for an internship. And I was kind of a free spirit in college. Yeah, so I'm studying yeah. global economics and decided I just wanted to go do social work in Chicago for my internship. That's awesome. How did you get connected with this organization? A former mentor of mine named Ryan Ernst, he worked for them full time. Mm -hmm. And uh, the summer before, he had a shortage of uh, male counselors for their summer camp ministry, which is pretty typical for anything relating to kids. There's always going to be a shortage of adult males there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I wasn't doing anything productive that summer. And me and uh, my best friend growing up went up and served that summer. Yeah. And then decided to apply to come back full time the next summer. Yeah. You know, you brought up a great point and it's funny this wasn't even something I was thinking of asking, but I I love what you just said about there's always a shortage of adult males helping out. Um why do you think that is? As a man who has a passion for giving back, you I mean you even you started a company with that with that purpose in mind and you did this internship in inner city inner city Chicago. And just to your experience over the years, why do you think it is? Because I see that too. And, and I've had this conversation with other ethical fashion business owners. Most ethical fashion business owners in this space are women. And so, but, you know, obviously across the board, you know, in a lot of fashion industry or a lot of fashion companies and 
just CEOs in general, you tend to see more men. Um, what what do you think it is? Like, why do you think there is a shortage of of men? And and as a man who has a passion for giving back, what would you say to to guys who maybe are hesitant to serve or hesitant to volunteer or hesitant to give back in some way? Um, wow, that's a pretty big question. My thing that I would say reasons for shortages. Um, number one, compassion, unfortunately, in uh, like Western culture is not really regarded as a super masculine trait. Mm-hmm. So that in general, a lot of people will assume ethical companies mean compassionate companies. Yeah. Um, and it's not super masculine. Realistically, um, as any ethical entrepreneur will tell you, um, we're just doing what everyone assumes everyone else is doing. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. the vast majority of people that don't shop ethically assume that the $3 tank top they got was made by an adult that worked 40 hours a week, had health insurance, and didn't have to go borrow money from a loan shark every time they went to the doctor. Right. That's what people are always going to assume. So typically people see ethical companies as like compassionate, which isn't always respected as a masculine trait in Western culture. So that's one thing I see keeping males outside of the ethical fashion realm. Other than that, I don't know what's stopping guys. Uh, For me, um, I was just scared to kind of take the first step in general. That's what kept me from taking an idea all the way to fruition. But I always encourage men to to volunteer with kids uh, however you can. Um, The organizations you're working with, they will do everything necessary to protect you and protect the children. and there's really not much to worry about. Yeah. I mean, I teach a Sunday school for, for four-year-olds with my wife. And uh, it's great. And it it lets the kids know that uh, there are adult men that, that care for them, that yeah. want to invest in them, that want to see them be successful. Um, and I think that's a really necessary part of development. But I think a lot of guys didn't see that when they were kids. Probably the first guy that adult that like knew them on a personal level was a high school football coach was another hyper masculine environment. Yeah. Yeah. This is, Oh man, this is one of those topics. Like I could just, I get, I get so interested in and, and I, you also brought up a great point that where you, when you said that coming from a place of compassion or acting compassionate is not a super masculine trait, but that I is. wonder where that comes from, because when I think about it, and I had this conversation actually with um, a woman, uh, Monique Melton, she was on the show a couple weeks ago, and we talked about, um, towards the end of the show, we got into a really awesome discussion about um, just racial reconciliation and race, race relations, and, um, and we talked about coming from a place of true compassion. And she said, in order to do that, we have to look towards the ultimate the most compassionate one that ever lived, who was Jesus. And so, mm-hmm. like, when we picture, when I picture, like, the most compassionate person to have ever lived, that was Jesus. And he also, to me, is, you know, the most masculine person who's ever lived. So, like, it's very interesting when you think about, you know, the Jesus and the disciples and all these people, you know, who were extremely compassionate and were extremely masculine, but then where along the way that got lost in translation or something. I don't know. This is a very deep philosophical thought that I'm having right now. I 
<laughs> I agree. I will I will plead ignorance and say <laughs> I do not know the behavioral economics yeah. behind that where it got switched. <laughs> and I don't expect you to, but it is, it's a really interesting thing to think about and something I honestly have not thought about until this very moment. So I really appreciate you really uh, challenging my, my thoughts on this. And I feel like now I'm going to be having all these intellectual discussions with my husband about this. He's going to be like, oh, man. <laughs> oh, no, no. I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. because Well, my husband and I like to have sort of those some of those talks sometimes where I'm like, why is this the way it is in life? And you know, I don't know. So, but that's a very interesting thing to, to think about. Um, and a little bit, a, a little bit off topic, but that's okay. Uh, you know, that's, that's just how this goes. And, and I love it. Um, so we're going to fast forward again. Um, so you, you volunteered with this organization in Chicago and then yes, you ma'am. went to Mich- Michigan, um, dropped out of doing finance cause it was boring. <laughs> and then you launched a fashion line. So Let's talk about the hounds. So for those that don't know what the hounds is, uh, give the elevator pitch for the hounds, um, and then we can kind of go from there. Basically, what the hounds does is it's an it's a ethical men's fashion line that exists to care for the kids of inner city Chicago. Basically, what we do is we take care of every part of our supply chain and all the people in it when we're producing our product, and then as the finished product comes out and we sell it we tie in a social kind of piece for everything we sell so we have t-shirts where we send kids to camp and we send them camping and then we have a oxford shirt where we uh, provide kids school uniforms and then we have long sleeve shirts where we do their winter gloves and basically the whole thing is we produce it ethically and then for everything we produce we like to take care of the kids from chicago that's awesome now, where did this desire come from? Like when you when you left the the banking school, where did the desire come from to start a fashion line? I had had the the concept for a long time. My brother and I had wanted to start a brand of some sort um, uh, for a long time, and I've had kind of this. I've had two really overwhelming traits my entire life that have been both positive and negative Mm -hmm. aspects. Uh, Number one, I have this, I'm stupidly overconfident in in a (laughs) lot of areas. And so I thought when I would, for a while I wrote for a fashion blog and I would interview a lot of founders and I would, my thought was like, this is not that hard. These are normal people. I could probably do this. (laughs) So that was a big one is I, I just had the overconfidence. And then I also, um, you just see brands pop up for six months and then die out. And uh, my mom said I was the most strong world child she'd ever met. And she <laughs> ran a daycare for a long time. And, uh, and my stubbornness, it, it let me know that I could make it past six months if I, if I did my own thing. So that was my real just my overconfidence and my stubbornness, but also my brother saying, hey, we should start a brand. And that's that's what did it. But then uh, I had a deep conviction to do it uh, probably about two years ago while I was in school to actually, you know, put up or shut up and start the brand. Yeah. And so what year did you or when did you officially launch? We launched May of 16, Memorial Day weekend, the uh, Saturday before. The Friday before was when everything, when we released our first uh, piece, 
online. That's awesome. But uh, that's the culmination of about nine months of research and development and sourcing and everything else. Yeah. So what did those early days look like and and how did – before you launched – you know, so tell us about like where they're manufactured and how did you go through that process of kind of deciding like what, you know, you obviously you said you had this vision for a while and you had this idea for a while. Um, when did you decide that, you know, you were going to really hyper focus in on simple basic things like a t-shirt and an Oxford? And then how did you go about designing it and working with the manufacturer and how did you find that and all that kind of stuff? I, I'd love to know all that. All right, buckle up. I'm ready to go. I love it. <laughs> so the Oxford and basics in general were always, uh, it was my brother's idea to, to start out with basics. And uh, where I went to school, I went. it was a private liberal arts school. And yeah. uh, there were definitely some more affluent people there, but it was also a very conservative area. Mm-hmm. And uh, so our uniform for like 90% of the people was to just wear a button-down Oxford every day. Yeah. So. Fast forward to me being in grad school and having the conviction to actually start this. Um, I knew Oxford's for where it was at. Uh, we already had the name. And so we're moving forward from there. The first thing I do is I just committed to the fact that I was going to wear an Oxford every day yeah. for the next 30 days. And I did. And I was able to realize what I liked and didn't like. Uh, the cool thing was that I had this mentor who a lot of times through this journey, I've realized that People are responding to me and talking to me that I have no business being in the same conversations with. And this was a guy who had started a company called T. Walker mm-hmm. a while back. But he'd also worked at Ralph Lauren before that. And his partner had been at J. Crew forever. And they just had this wealth of knowledge. Cause I, and I called him and I was like, hey, this is what I want to do. And he's like, great, do it. Do it for yourself. And he's giving me all these like philosophical things like because he's a super supportive guy and just a really like spiritually in tune guy but then I'm like but I don't know what the first step is and so he told me you know you uh tear apart all your favorite shirts you go find a pattern maker and go from there and so that's what I did for a while um till I got my pattern down it was something that I loved and I knew I was it was the best that I was going to be able to come up with um from there I spent a lot of time on google there's a million different companies that will always say like, Hey, we'll teach you. We'll set up everything for you. You just have to pay us this 10 grand. Um, I was bilingual, found a manufacturer in Honduras. Um, and then I flew down there, met with them, set everything up. Um, and then went to work on branding with some people from a small group. We got that, had this leftover design and, uh, my nonprofit partners call and they're like, Hey, we had this camping trip coming up this summer. Uh, you want to be a part of it. And while this is all going on, I'm telling everyone I know, like, hey, I'm starting this brand. It's going to be huge. And I'm meeting with investors all the time. And I'm pitching and I'm calling everybody. And I'm not getting any responses. And so it finally was a time where it's like, I got to put something out. Or everyone's just going to be like, this is like that guy that keeps talking about his band that's going to make it big. And the hounds is never actually going to do anything. <laughs> I love that analogy. Which is what it really felt like. So I had to release something. And we had this design that was really, it was a leftover uh, logo concept that they they talked me out of using it as like our definitive branding. Mm -hmm. But it was still a really cool design. And uh, and so we put that out and I called my, I'd been talking with my nonprofit partner and they're like, 
okay, we just need to take care of the kids for this trip. And I was like, awesome, dude, I'll release this. Hopefully we'll sell 20 shirts. We'll take care of that trip. And, uh, and then I'll get back to the Oxfords and focus on that. So I put it up online that day. And uh, within 24 hours, we totally subsidized that whole trip. And then we're finding ways to make new trips so we can subsidize those costs as well. Yeah. yeah. And so you said that they're manufactured in Honduras. That's where the Oxfords are manufactured in Tegucigalpa, Honduras. That's awesome. And how did so how did you find the manufacturer and um, what does their factory look like and, and all of that? Um, I found the manufacturer um, just by Googling it. Was yeah. really I just Googled uh, camisa, you know, I, just the words that I knew in Spanish. Yeah. Because um, I knew I wanted to make it over here just to cut down on the carbon footprint of sending it over. Yeah. From China or right. Pakistan or somewhere like that. So and uh, and I found them in Honduras and I just I emailed them and was like, hey, I need help making some men's shirts. Can you guys help me? And they emailed me back and they're like, yeah, we can totally do it. Set up the phone call. Um, but then I realized, you know, I can't just take this random guy from the Internet's word that it's going to be legit. Uh, so I flew down to Tegucigalpa Um which was kind of a trip. I'd never been to Central America before. Oh, wow. And and I went and saw the factory, which is a beautiful facility. They take wonderful care of them. Uh, it was hot. I will say that. Central America is hot. The closer it is you hot. get to the equator. It is hot. It's hot, hot. And, hot uh, and I just saw the factory. I got to hang out on the floor all day. Uh, the director, the GM of the factory, just kind of left me after he gave me the... He gave me the tour, introduced me to everybody, and uh, he just interacted really warmly with everybody there. Yeah. Um, and it was awesome. And then he left me. And so I got to go have conversations with people I hadn't been introduced to. So they don't know, like, oh, this is a guy from America that's going to contract us. Put on your, your best face. It was that I right. was able to have, like, legit conversations in their native tongues. And they provided transportation to and from work, which is awesome. Wow. In Honduras, that's a sketchier thing to do uh, yeah. just to travel at all um mm -hmm. they had a clinic inside the facility um they were rap certified which basically oh yes rap certified means, is amazing yeah and it means they follow all the laws on the books so not even only the ones that are enforced mm -hmm. but also on the books so that was huge and uh and we just went from there as far as i get them the material tell them exactly what i need when i need it by and then i work a lot with them and just email back and forth and then they they send it to me here. It's kind of awesome that they take such good care of them. They even have a co-op inside of the factory for uh, for lending just because um, in a lot of Central American countries and a lot of developing countries, mm -hmm. uh, their banking industry is not super equitable mm -hmm. like it would be in the U.S. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. And so you really put that intention for – making sure that people from the start to the finish are taken care of. Yes, ma'am. And that was, it was something I was ignorant of when I started the journey. I just knew I wanted to take care of kids from Chicago. Yeah. And uh, I knew I couldn't be, you know, doing something really good afterwards if I wasn't being true to it all the way through the process. Right. That is such, I'm so glad you said that because that is... You know, it's one of those things where I try <laughs> I try so hard to 
man, I don't really know how to exactly articulate this, but I think the more that I've learned about the the ethical fashion space, and um, it's something that I, I, you know, my friends know, like I never ever want to sound like preachy about it or anything like that. But I so often see, you know, companies that will, you know, release these, um, like there was a, a brand that shall not be named, but it's a very large brand that did this whole campaign on like women's empowerment and like, you know, dressing to empower women and all this kind of stuff. Yet it's like pretty widely known that this brand manufactures in sweatshops. And so I'm thinking to myself, like oh, the no. irony of like you're empowering the women that wear the clothes, but you're putting the women who make them through hell, essentially. You know what I mean? That's totally true. And I think about that all the time, like the irony of like you'll see these companies that like make these really you know graphic T-shirts with really empowering messages, and like you know you look at the that it's like made in Bangladesh, but like it's not like it's a you know a good factory in Bangladesh. Like <laughs> you know. Oh no, I know? completely understand. And so I yeah, thought, it, yeah, it just drives me crazy. But you get you run into that everywhere. As far as there's people doing it the right way, there's people doing it the wrong way. There's people doing it the right way, just so other people know they're doing it the wrong way. But I think the yeah. longer you do it, uh, and the more people get to know you, even as a company, they'll get to know your character. Like, I really look up to Yvonne Chouinard. Oh, um, yes, from Patagonia. He's amazing. Yeah. And, you know, he has a 30, 40-year track record of consistently making those ethical decisions. So I feel like when there's a startup brand that's saying, okay, this is hot right now to do this, uh, people can kind of see through it. Yep. And it doesn't have that same legitimacy and character yeah. that Patagonia would. Yeah. I love I love that you brought up Yvonne Chouinard. He's like my dream. I want to interview him so bad because he's just – I've listened to interviews of his, and I love how he just says how he's an, a reluctant entrepreneur and how he just – he wanted to make a great product, and he didn't even want to sell that many. <laughs> like, he, like, like He's, he he's gen- the best. He's- I know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he's just he he genuinely is like, oh no, I did not want to sell more of these. Yet we just kept selling them. <laughs> yeah, like have you seen him in One Eighty South? No, where? No, I need to see this. Well, it's on Netflix, so oh, okay, Make it a priority. It's, All right, uh, yeah, I'm putting that on my, it's about my this dude taking a surf trip. My cue, but he's in it. I and love he, it. Him and Doug Tompkins, the founder of North Face, uh, are both featured pretty prominently in it, and. Yvonne Chouinard is one of those dudes that he's like the old guys at the breakfast spot in your hometown that <laughs> they think they're just talking, but they're continually just like spitting out really deep wisdom all the time. Yeah. That's what he's like in this movie. That is a great analogy. The old guy at the breakfast spot who always has something wise to say. <laughs> that's what the Midwest is like. They're, that's what the retirees do. They all go get breakfast. So one of the things that you you mentioned that you is really important to you is obviously you give back to um, this organization in Chicago that you'd worked with. Um, I love the way you've sort of taken the one-for-one model 
and you've twisted it a little bit, um, you've, or you've kind of, uh, you know, kind of just put put your own spin on the one for one model. So talk about talk about that. So you you can purchase. Obviously, you you mentioned that you can buy a camping tee and help to fund a camping trip. You you purchase an Oxford and that helps to fund um, a uniform. How exactly does that work? And and how did you decide to kind of go more the supporting a nonprofit that's already doing the work type model rather than like doing something else yourself? Uh, there's a couple of reasons. Um, uh, number one, I had an awesome relationship with inner city impact in Chicago. They've yeah. been there 40 years. They yeah. know what is needed. Um, yeah. and they don't need me to come in and say, Hey, this will work great for my marketing. If you guys could just get out of the way. Right. Um, I listened to them specifically for, for what they need. The school uniforms thing, was it was kind of their thing. Um, we didn't know the Oxford was the basic we were going to make, but I called them and I said, hey, I'm making clothes. What do you guys need? How can I serve you? Um, and they said, hey, we need school uniforms. That's the biggest demand, and they're so expensive. And if you have five or six kids, it gets even more expensive. And I, I think the breakdown he was showing me was where – shoes pants shirts everything you're getting close to like three or four hundred dollars per kid wow and it gets expensive quick um so that's when i knew i wanted to do that and then we worked backwards with to develop the oxford from that need but i decided to go one for one um because i think i think it's a good model yeah it, it does get hated it gets a lot of hate there's no doubt about that yeah. but it keeps you honest because, you know, I could I could say that I'm going to give 20 percent of my profits or 50 percent of my profits or whatever. And then yeah. I could hire myself to the brand. I could expense everything. I could give myself a fat paycheck. And then at the end of the year, when I file my taxes, say, oh, we only made a thousand dollars profit. I'll give five hundred dollars to this cause. Mm hmm. There's so it's so the one for one really keeps you honest. Mm -hmm. um, but then there's also, I believe, in economies of scale, you know the bigger you get, the more efficient you're going to get. And mm -hmm. so if I'm looking at, instead of each person giving a uniform to one kid, if it's my company giving a hundred uniforms or a thousand uniforms or 10,000 uniforms someday, we're going to be able to do it more efficiently. Um, so I wanted to do that, but one for one was just because it kept us honest. Otherwise I could have, I could have written stuff down on paper and found a way to stay within those boundaries. Mm-hmm. Um, but not really had the biggest impact for the kids of Chicago. Yeah. So that's why I went with that one. Well, I think that's a great point. And I had this conversation. I'd, I'd love for you to give me your perspective, too, because I had this conversation with um, Tim Scott on the show, who's the founder of Mitscoots Outfitters, um, a couple weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And we talked about the one for one model and how it gets, you know, it does get a lot of criticism. And, and sometimes I think, while I, I understand where that criticism is coming from, and I and I you know I I very much understand and I'm passionate about you know you know they they you know when we talk about toxic charity and all that kind of stuff, but you know Tim and I talked about you know it's kind of that situation of excuse my French but like damned if you do and damned if you don't like people will say like oh mm -hmm. this company's not doing anything and you know or these people are selfish and you know they're not giving back and then. You get another company like Tom's that like starts and, and they do everything they can. And then everybody's like, well, they're not giving back the right way. 
You know, it's like, well, mm-hmm. okay, what do you want? Do you want us to give back or do you not? I mean, and I get that there's right and wrong, wrong ways to do it. Um, but I'd love sort of your perspective on, you know, especially, you know, kind of going into it. And I, I, I mean, I think what the way you've set it up is awesome. And I, I love that you said it keeps you honest. But I'd love just to sort of hear your perspective on the one-for-one model. And do you think those criticisms are are valid or do you think that they're just people, you know, who are whining for the sake of whining? Well, um, I got, I got a couple spots. I think people are always going to hate on it when they see you doing good. That's mm-hmm. just kind of self-conscious and jealous. Yeah. Um, in yeah. general. And I think a common, common, common thing is people see a lot of irresponsible charity and I'm not here to argue with that. I think you do have to be very strategic in what you do. Mm-hmm. And even if being charitable does make you feel good. You want it to have the biggest impact. So you got to be strategic right. all the time. Yeah. From our perspective, um, we're kind of out to to redeem the one-for-one model and kind of answer all the criticisms. Yeah. I remember this back from this conversation we had. I had this debate class in college where it wasn't even a debate class. It was just like a, a world events class. Mm-hmm. Um, but you had to prepare. It was like six hours of reading the night before that was only going to be online for a certain amount of time. Then you would come in and have a five question quiz and then debate the rest of the time. And they had this whole debate about like the impact of charity being negative and Tom's destroying the local shoe industry and stuff like that. And my thought was it's kind of hard to destroy something that doesn't exist, um, yeah. which is something I don't think people really understand all the time like i'm sure there are shoemakers who have been negatively affected but i don't think it's they're really destroying like huge thriving industries yeah um but the one thing that i wanted to do differently from us because people always will want to say oh it just is like a band-aid on the problem and i think for me is like i understand that i'm from cedarville ohio there's 2500 people that live in my hometown i don't know what it's like to grow up in Chicago, Illinois, I have a different life experience. Right. And I understand that I'm not going to be the one to redeem that whole city. Mm-hmm. What I want to do is equip the people that grow up there and live there to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. So that's why we specifically focused on education originally, because I don't think the people who are going to solve the problems of any city or nation or anything like that are going to be outsiders. You know, we've kind of yeah. seen imperialism on like a nation state level, but we've also seen it on a nonprofit level um, and just like NGO problems. Yeah. Um, So what we wanted to do was just empower them with our one for one model so that anything they see wrong with their city, any opportunities they see with for their city to grow, they'll be able to execute themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And I love what you said about just, you know, you're never going to be able to fix the entire problem yourself, but you can you can be a small difference, and even a small difference can, can really have a ripple effect. Because if you mm-hmm. have an impact on one life, or mm-hmm. you know, and then that life has an impact on another life, and it's a ripple effect. It reminds me of a, um, and I don't know if this is just one of those like, I mean, it is one of those, you know, I guess you know, tales that people say. But so when we were at, we were at the beach a couple weeks ago, and um, the every Sunday um, during the summer at the beach, they the local church has um, like a worship on the pier. So you can go to the Ocean Crest Pier and at 8 a.m. and they have like a church service right there on the pier. So it's really awesome because you can I mean, you're 
you know, you're staring at the beautiful waves and you're on a beautiful pier while you're, you know, at church. And the pastor mm-hmm. uh, told this story in his sermon um, and I loved it. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm writing that down because I'm, I'm going to use that later. And uh, it's this, you know, story of a, a big storm came to the beach. It was, you know, a hurricane and all these like thousands and thousands and thousands of starfish washed up on the shore and the, the storm was gone and there's these again just for miles you could just see these thousands of starfish washed up on the shore and this little boy saw all these starfish and so he was walking along the beach and he was picking up the starfish and one by one throwing them back in the ocean and a guy comes along and says to the little boy what are you doing like you're wasting your time you know that there's you see you know you see these thousands of starfish like it's just it's not making a difference and the little boy picks one up and he throws it back in the ocean he said it ma- it made a difference for that one and he just oh. like i know and i love that and he's like and so he just keeps doing it and he said it doesn't matter if i can't do all of them i'm going to it's i'm going to make a difference for this one and i loved that's that kind of i was like awesome. I, was, I know isn't that the best story i was like i don't know if that's true but that's a great story and it's such a great imagery for charity and it's such a great image imagery for just for reaching lost people i mean you can use that for so many things of like it doesn't matter if you can't fix the whole problem but if you can be a small solution and be a small part of a a larger thing you know it just it, it can make such a difference um like the movie The Butterfly Effect, where they talk about like mm-hmm. even the single flap of a butterfly's wings can, you know, have a ripple effect on so many things. And so, you know, just making that small difference. So like even if you're able to provide a uniform for one kid and that mm-hmm. one kid gets an education and that one kid goes to college and that one kid grows up and becomes president of the United States. I mean, you know, you think about what, you know, the, the kind of impact that one life can have. And so I, yeah, I think your perspective is awesome. And I, you know, I, I, I love it. Ah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It means, I mean, you're a discerning person, especially you're knowledgeable within this, this particular niche market. So I appreciate that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's truly, I think, yeah, like I, I just can't wait to see you guys continue to grow and to see you guys continue to thrive and, um, and just, you know, as you expand and the more lives that you're able to impact. Um, I, I think it's awesome. I, I kind of wish that I wore men's Oxford shirts so I could wear one. <laughs> I mean, maybe they I could. Have, they hey. can look awesome in a boyfriend style. My yeah. wife teaches elementary school and she teaches in an Oxford and a legging with a little like with a belt on. Yeah, like menswear inspired. I like it. I should totally do that. She kills it. <laughs> I love it. Uh, well, Adam, so as we kind of wrap up here, I would love for you just to kind of share what's on the horizon for you and for the hounds and um, what what are you looking forward to for the, you know, I guess we're, gosh, we're in the second half of 2017, which is crazy. Um, what's, what's, you know, on the horizon for you guys here in the second half of the year and in the future? Moving forward, uh Near future, for sure, um, camp, uh, our camping trip is coming up where we're taking a bunch of kindergartners through second graders uh, on their first overnight and on Lake Michigan. We are so excited about that. That's coming up in a few weeks, so please be keeping your eyes peeled to watch that. Um, it's, a big, it's a big thing for us, and, and for them, it's a big growing opportunity as far as building confidence and just seeing life that exists 
outside their neighborhood. A lot of these kids live in Chicago, which is on Lake Michigan, and have never been to Lake Michigan. Wow. So it's hugely impactful. So for us, that's big for us, getting through the summer, doing that, and then obviously back to school, doing our uniform giveaway. We're very excited about that. Beyond that, um, just kind of consistent growth. We're excited because we, we get a lot of repeat customers all the time, and we love that. We love that it's a community, and there are people who take pride in owning every piece of houndswear that's ever been produced. That's a huge thing for us. So we'll continue to keep, you know, driving forth that same excellence, creating the product people like, um, and sticking to our basics and tweaking our basics and trying to perfect them even more. Um, probably going to see a white Oxford out sometime in 2017. I don't have a for sure date on that. Um, and then just continue to collaborate with a lot of like-minded brands. Um, hopefully see some cool stuff come out of that. Uh, it's a company we're not solely about creating products, but also sponsoring great stuff that really excites us. So yeah. you'll see us sponsoring that, working with different nonprofits and working with people outside of our, our wheelhouse just because we think it's awesome and we want it to exist. That's awesome. Adam, congratulations on just being awesome and just all the work that you're doing and just thank you for uh, just kind of listening to the call and 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 uh, not going into banking so that you can really <laughs> not that banking is a bad profession in and of itself but you know what I mean uh, just thank you for all that you do thank you for letting me share uh, let letting me share the vision it's it's so much fun for me to to talk to anybody that is willing to listen about all my thoughts and convictions on the industry and uh, for the kids of Chicago. Okay, so how awesome was Adam? Isn't he so cool? His heart, his drive, his passion, and I love his vision. I love the fact that he is so hyper-focused on solving a really unique problem. He's not trying to fix everything. He's focusing on an area that he's passionate about, and he's focusing on how he can help the one, how he can help you know one child to really to change their life. I absolutely loved my time with him, and I loved this episode, and I really hope this conversation encouraged you. If this is your first time listening to the show, welcome. We have over 45, probably nearly 50 episodes in the archives that you can listen to with so many different entrepreneurs and business owners and, and CEOs and nonprofit directors and authors and photographers, so many amazing business people who are changing lives with what they do for a living. If you are a regular listener, I can't thank you enough for your weekly support, for the way you guys share the podcast. It is seriously means the world to me. If you guys would do me a favor, I would love if you would head over to iTunes and leave a review of the show. Your reviews truly, I read every single one of them, and they mean so much to me just to see how this show is impacting you and the businesses that you're learning about and the businesses that you're now supporting because of this show. It is the goal, it is the drive, and it is the passion, and it is why I do this. So thank you so much. Also, would you take a moment this week and share the show with a friend? That would 
be so awesome if you could maybe screenshot the episode that you're listening to and tag a friend, you know, share it on Instagram, tag me at still being Molly. The more that you guys are able to share this show with other people, it just helps so much and it helps to bring light to these amazing companies that are doing so much good in the world. Anyway, I hope you guys have an awesome rest of your week and we will see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.